Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. The title of my message today is The Real Cost of Relationship. The real cost of relationship. This, this will apply to your relationship with God. This will apply to your relationship with your spouse, with friends, uh, with your boss, with your employer. There's, there's a cost to relationship. We live in a kind of a sales-oriented world. And so a salesperson knows that to get the sale, they're trying to convince you that the product that you're receiving is of greater value than the cost or the price that you're paying. They, they say in sales that, that when, when the price you're paying is $1 less than the benefit that you're getting, a transaction, a sale takes place. And so, but no, nobody's going to say, oh, you know, $100 for the $1 menu. Nobody's doing that. Nobody wants to pay more for something that's worth less. But we all want to have something that's worth more and pay less for it. But sometimes... Uh, our salespeople can leave a few things out. Um, I remember when we bought our home and I got the very, very first property taxes. I'm like, I'm sure they made a mistake. <laughs> and then they, the, I called the, you know, the property tax people and they're like, oh, sir, did they not disclose that to you? I said, no, they didn't. And so we pay for two school districts. And so they, they were meant to do that, but they just passed it on to the, the purchasers. And so, yeah, which greatly increased. And sometimes you can buy a home, but, you know, they didn't disclose the HOA fees or when you bought it, they put up the HOA fees. Or I remember getting, you know, my kids, we wanted to help each of our kids get into a car. And I'll never forget one of my kids who's very, very good at budgeting, budgeted for his repayments. But then he's like, Dad, Dad, like gas. <laughs> yeah, it just goes so fast. Yeah. And then registration, I'm like, you're going to do that every year? I'm like, every year. And I said, and then maintenance. He goes, oh, I can't afford maintenance. I said, well, you've got to keep it. If you don't maintain it, it'll break down. It'll cost you more than. So he's like, are you saying that I need to? Yeah, you need to get it regularly maintained. If you get it regularly maintained and regularly serviced, you know, you won't have. So sometimes we can acquire something but kind of miss the value of it. So come with me in your Bible, Matthew 13, 44. Matthew 13, 44. Jesus is, is speaking in parables, parables of anecdotal stories. And he says, again, the kingdom of heaven. Now, I want you to underscore the word heaven. He doesn't say the kingdom of the world or the, 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 the kingdom of man. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid. And did he find it or did he hide it? He did both. Well, why would he find it and then hide it? Well, the reason is he didn't want anybody else to see it. For joy over it, the treasure, for joy over the treasure, he goes and he sells everything that he has and buys the field. He buys the field. Well, you would say, well, He's not interested in the field. He's interested in the treasure. Why doesn't he just take the treasure? 
Why don't you just drive there at midnight? All you hear is the, eh, eh, the little crickets. Eh, eh, turn the headlights off. Sneak in. Because Jesus isn't saying the kingdom of the world. He says the kingdom of heaven. Because God knows that, that anything that you gain illegitimately will leave you. Any, any treasure, any wealth, anything that you gain through illegitimacy can't be blessed by heaven. God wants you to be blessed. God wants you to be secure. And so there's a principle at play here that if you want the pleasure of the treasure, you have to take the responsibility of the field. The, the pleasure and responsibility are two sides of the same coin. We have an epidemic of unwanted pregnancies because people want the, the pleasure of the treasure. They just don't want the responsibility of the offspring. So, so Jesus has given this parable. He's given the parable of the treasure buried in a field. This is really important because uh, there's, there's a principle I want to talk about the real cost of relationship. And the real cost of relationship is understanding appreciation. It's, it, there's nothing worse than depreciation. You know, they say that when you drive a car off the lot, when you buy it, as soon as that, that bumper goes off, as soon as the, the tail goes off, the, 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 you just lost 20%. One of the things that we learned very, very early on was we had to figure out what was appreciating assets because we had very little money. So that's why I, I love real estate because I found that real estate kind of doubles every seven to 10 years. So we knew we couldn't afford cars and we couldn't afford watches and we couldn't afford nice things in our early years. And so we had to put everything into to real estate. But then it got to the point where through real estate investments and wisdom, we were able to then be able to, from that, have the other things. A lot of people spend, uh, we, we had friends who had the, the, the best kicks and the best clothes and the best cars and the best everything renting. I mean, they rented a fat house, but to this day, you know, income changed, but they got no assets. They're the same age as us, no assets, because they didn't know how to invest their money wisely. You want to invest into a, whatever you appreciate goes up in value. So yesterday I got a text from Pastor Samuel Duth and Samuel was reading Leviticus 10. And in Leviticus 10, there's a story where the sons of Aaron, Aaron, uh, they've just dedicated the tabernacle. It's the, literally the first service. And the Aaron's sons put on their priestly robes and they go in and they are struck dead by the fire of God because they offer profane incense before the Lord. And, uh, and so Samuel's like, dude, like, whoa, like, was, did God wake up with a bad head? You know, like, was it, was he grumple stiltskin? Like, what's going on? And, um, and the first thought that came to me, Morgan, was um, Pastor Drew Davies, who from Hope Village Church, who used to be our, uh, our East Lake South Campus pastor. He's actually preaching down there today. He told a story many years ago of one of his best friends who got fired from McDonald's. I'm like, he got fired. He got fired? How do, you, how do you get fired from McDonald's? He said, well, he, he, I asked him, he said to, to his friend, man, how did you get fired? He said, well, they fired me because I was putting my own spin on the burgers. <laughs> and so Pastor Drew says, what do you mean your own spin? He goes, well, I was just mixing it up a little. Instead of putting the Big Mac, you know, sauce on the Big Macs, I was putting them on the Quarter Pounders. And the Quarter Pounder sauce I was putting on the cheeseburger and the cheeseburger stuffy. I just wanted to mix it up a little. 
I mean, you didn't notice people going, oh, that don't taste right coming back in. Well, yeah, I just thought that'd appreciate my... No, McDonald's has a, has a you know, a, and so he lost his job. Well, you know, these guys had gotten so familiar with the presence of God. They've gotten so familiar because for the last several months, they've been, they've been preparing for this day. They'd been in and out of the tabernacle. They placed the Ark of the Covenant in there. They'd kind of gotten familiar with God. Familiarity breeds contempt. The, 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 the familiarity is, is it's, it's a disposition of the human psyche where we take for granted. It's not a good thing. The Bible says when, when the burning bush was on fire, the Bible says, and, and, you know, Moses saw this bush on fire, but it wasn't being consumed. So he walks closer to it. And then all of a sudden a voice comes out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And I always do that in with a little bit of a Latino accent because I believe that God is Latino. I can't prove it, but just, just listen. This is what he says. He says, Moses, Moses, take the sandals off your feet. For the place, the place where you are standing is, is holy ground. I mean, it just, it sounds better Latino, doesn't it? Like you definitely know God's not Australian. Moses, Moses, take your flip-flops off, mate. Crikey. You know God is not Australian. All right, so anyway, so, but the Bible says, the Bible says that God says to Moses, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Simba, everything. He maybe didn't say that. But anyway, so the Bible says, oh my gosh, I've got to get through this. I'm being naughty. So, so the Bible says, and when, when Moses heard that this was God speaking through the bush, he covered his face and would not look upon God. Bible says many, many years later, Moses goes up onto Mount Sinai. And on Mount Sinai, um, God gives him the Ten Commandments. He's in the presence of God. And he comes down and the people are, you know, in idolatry and wickedness. And then Moses has to go back up to God. And, and when he's up there, he's interacting with God. And then he says to God, he goes, God, please show me your glory. I want to see your glory. And I love God because Moses has been in the presence of God. So he's asking for crazy things. Two weeks ago, I preached a message on strike the ground or whenever it was. And I said, you know, what? one of the, one of the, the, the litmus tests uh, that we're doing a good job is, are you asking for difficult things? Are you asking, are you believing for impossible things? You should be believing for babies, even if the doctors have told you. You should be believing for healing, even if the doctors say You should be believing for homes, even if the economists have said. Don't let men, don't let the negative naysaying Nancys put a ceiling over your life. Go with God. What's impossible men, with men is possible with God. So Moses asked God, he says, God, show me your glory. And God doesn't rebuke him and say, dude, you can't, if, if, if my glory was to come anywhere near you, the holiness of God and sinful man, it would kill you. But God does something beautiful. He says, all right, he says, I'll tell you what, I'm gonna make my goodness pass by. But even my goodness your sinfulness can't even stand in my goodness without judgment. See, a lot of people don't understand this about God. Because God is holy, the Bible says he cannot look upon sin. When the devil who was in the Garden of Eden saw the relationship that Abba, that God had with, with man, and he saw the delight in the joy of God with his children, with his 
son, that Adam bore God's image and God's likeness and he saw the delight. He thought, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to stab God in the heart. How dare you throw me out of heaven? I know what I'm going to do. The very object of your delight and joy, the apple of your eye, the delight of your heart, I'm going to trick him into sin because I know you have to judge sin and the wages of sin is you have to kill the very thing you love. So he tricks Adam and Eve into sin thinking, ha, 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 outsmarted you, God. But God was so brilliant because if you read your Bible, which we encourage, by the way, in Genesis chapter 1, before the fall in Genesis 3, in Genesis chapter 1, on the fourth day, God put the sun, the moon, and the stars so that this would be for times and seasons. God set up time so that when Adam sinned, the wages of sin is death. So if you imagine God is over here and Imagine a firing squad and God shoots a bullet. Now pretend it's the matrix. The bullet is coming out in slow motion, but it's headed towards Adam. And Adam like, no. And the bullet is tracking towards him. However, God outsmarted the devil because 10 generations after Adam comes Noah, 10 generations after Noah comes Abraham, 10 generations after Abraham comes David, 10 generations after David comes Yeshua, comes Jesus. And the Bible says that Adam was the first Adam, but Jesus was the second or the last Adam. So by the time Jesus comes, the bullet is just about to hit the first Adam and the second Adam comes in. And he takes the death that we deserve so that we can live the life that he deserved. God outsmarted the devil. And so Moses asks God to see his glory. And God says, huh, this is how, how we're going to do it. I'm going to bring my goodness. I'm going to show you my goodness. I'll make my goodness pass, pass before you. But there's a place by me. And you shall stand on the rock. You're going to see Jesus. You're going to stand on the rock. Who's the rock? Jesus. You're going to stand by me on the rock. And behold, it'll come to pass as my goodness passes by that I'll actually pick you up and place you into the cleft of the rock, a crack in the rock face. And I'll, I'll put you in there so it's rock on this side and rock on this side. And then as my goodness passes by, I will cover you with my hand. He says, my face you won't see. No, no, no human, no, no man in a sinful state can see my face and live. He says, I'll cover you with my hand. And as I pass by, I'll remove my hand and all you'll see is my back. And the Bible says Moses had the most extraordinary encounter with God. That when he came down from the mountain, his face was glowing and all the people freaked out. His wife is like, honey, will you turn the light off? I can't sleep. He's like, what light? Oh, sorry, it's your face. And so, you know, he's like a nightlight. And... And Moses was in awe of God. And Moses walked with God and had this deep reverence for God. The sons of Aaron got struck dead because they became familiar with God. Familiarity breeds contempt. But really what familiarity is, is we just take for granted. If you said to me, hey, what's the greatest way for me to ruin my, my friendship? I'd say, just take them for granted. You know, what's the greatest way to, to lose my job? Just take it for granted. 
What's the greatest way for me to disrespect my boss? Just take for granted all, all the great things that your boss affords you. How do, I, how, do I, how do I ruin my marriage? Just take for granted. You know, how do I lose my relationship with my kids? How do I have regrets? Just take them for granted. Take whatever you take for granted. Familiarity breeds contempt. So I want to give you three quick thoughts. The first one is familiarity fails to discern heaven's gifts. Fails to discern heaven's gifts. Let me tell you a story. Uh, we just sang, you know, all the angels roar, holy is the Lord. You know, that we, we join with the heavenly host. Did you know that, that heaven existed before the earth? And the angels have been singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty for thousands of years. Now, when I first got saved, pretend this is the throne of God. When I first got saved, I thought, man, Wow, for thousands of years? It kind of sounds like a bit boring. Like for, th for thousands of years, the angels sing, holy, holy, holy. Is so I'm trying to imagine heaven. I'm trying to imagine it. Like, you know, uh, there was a guy who had a near-death experience and he went to heaven and he saw the scene. He says, and the angels were circumferencing the, the throne of God. And he says, and every time they'd complete one lap of God's throne, they'd fall on their face and they'd cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. So I'm thinking, and they've been doing that for like millions of years. And yeah, I'm like, it just sounds like boring, like over and over. You know, and so I'm trying to imagine it, you know, in my carnal stupid brain you know the angels you know Michael and Gabriel talking and hey I'm off on on uh, vacation vacation where you off to cloud nine oh, I love cloud nine the resorts oh, oh here we go holy 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 is the Lord God almighty yeah you know I'm yeah I'm going on my vacation you know soon oh where are you off to I'm off to cloud med cloud med man the the water slides that man it's just oh here we go holy that's what I'm thinking that's what I'm thinking but this guy says no it wasn't like that he said the angels who've been doing this for millions of years, for millennia, he says when, when, whenever they would finish, whenever they would finish one circumference of the throne of God, he said what would happen is they would, they would see a facet of God they'd never seen before. And the only expression they could muster was to fall on their faces and say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. In heaven, the angels of heaven, heaven doesn't take for granted what is there. They, they're in awe of God. They're blown away by God. Can I just tell you the key to a great marriage, the key to a great friendship, the key to great relationships, the key is to always stay in awe, to always stay in appreciation, to, to never take for granted, never become familiar because familiar fails to discern heaven's gifts. So in Matthew 13, 44, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a man who finds treasure buried in a field. He wants the treasure, so he hides it again, but he sells everything he has and he buys the field. When I got married, I wanted the treasure of having my beautiful Liani. I wanted the treasure of my Liani being my bride. And, and what I wasn't too keen on was the field. <laughs> if I was honest with you. So the Bible says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. And. I'm like, God, you didn't need to put an and. It's just awesome being married. And obtains favor from the Lord. I'm like, Lord, I don't need any favor. I was sleeping alone. Now I'm living with my Leanne. 
I'm happy. Why would I need favor? One month later, <laughs> the credit card statement comes in. I'm like, what the who's buying? Then I realized why I needed favor. And God said to me, quit complaining. Wives are expensive. I'm like, you never told. He said, I told you that when I said. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains. You need favor because she's expensive. Men, she's expensive, but she's worth every dollar. She's worth every penny. She is worth it. She's worth everything. And if you think a wife is expensive, if you think the maintenance of a bride is expensive, try divorce. Divorce will cost you much more than spending your, your money on your bride. I had a, I had a, we had a gentleman in our youth group, good-looking guy. He, he, um, he looked like Rob Lowe. You know Rob Lowe, the actor? He was kind of like New Zealand's version of Rob Lowe. Good-looking guy. And had a great job, an awesome job, made good money. But in his 20s, you know, dated a few, never got married. 30s, he was 44 and he called me and he's crying on the phone saying, I don't understand, I don't understand. So I kind of interviewed one of the girls that he took out on a date. And I said, look, I just don't understand. Like, he's good, he's good looking. He's got a great job. He's in a, he works for one of the biggest accounting firms in New Zealand. She goes, I think that's the issue. I said, what do you mean? She said, we went on a date and he thought he'd impress me that when the bill came, he could split the bill in half to the very cent. She says, oh, but it got worse. I said, how could it get worse than that? What kind of a jack? Anyway, I said, how could it get worse? She goes, oh, she said, you know, he ordered the steak and I got the fish. And she, she said, you know, and, and you know, my, my fish came on uh, polenta, you know, with a few vegetables. And so the fish was sitting on that, whereas his steak came with, you know, a couple of potatoes and some asparagus. And the, the steak was like $50. I can't remember what it was. And, and the fish was 35 So he's complaining, saying, how come she's got more, but it costs less and I've got less and mine costs more? He wants to see the manager and he's, you know, complaining. He's making a big deal of it and everyone's kind of embarrassing looking around. And so I had to tell my friend, I said, listen, let me tell you why you're single. Let me tell you why you're single. You're single because you're a cheap steak. And I had to say to him, listen, are you sitting down? Sit down. Wives are expensive. And it's like, well, actually, I've been putting money. I said, forget about putting money away. It's going to cost you more than you've put away. Oh, no, I put away. I said, I don't care what you put away. Let me just tell you. I said, so God will give you faith instead of frugality. And He'll give you favour because she is worth every day. Everything you spend on her. If you buy a car, you've got to maintain the vehicle to have it in the best. Otherwise, it breaks down. I'm telling you, a wife is your greatest investment. He didn't want to hear it. But about two years later, he called me and said, I'm engaged. He says, I realised I fought it but for two years and I realised you were right. And so he's, now he's got babies and he's, you know, he's a happy, happily married man. So I, I kind of figured this out the hard way. 1997, um, we'd been married now five years. Ash was just born. And, and Leanne and I were fighting all the time. And, and, you know, I was at work, working for a crazy boss and 
60 hours a week plus. And so we were fighting and we'd come home and it was, you know, my needs, her needs. And, and my wants, you know, her wants. And, you know, I'm more tired. No, I'm more tired. No, you're not. I haven't slept in seven years. You know, like, and we're just, you know, arguing. And, uh, you know, who was the most tired and who had done the most and who had deserved the most. And, you know, she's like wanting to palm the kids off. And I'm like, palm the kids off. I've just been working all day, woman, while you've been sitting. And which is never a good thing to say. And so... I was an idiot, I admit it. So we have this massive, massive, massive route, massive route. So, so I realize we're not getting anywhere. And, uh, and when, 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 you, when you fight, you, you, you're not looking for their strengths. You're not looking for where they're right going, huh, oh gosh, I didn't even think of that. You're, you're right. You know, you're actually looking for weaknesses, you know, in... in you know, a, a boxer will look to see if when a person jabs, they drop their right and then they're open for a left hook. And so you're looking for weaknesses. So, you know, so, yeah, well, you borrowed my hairbrush without asking. <laughs> you know, anyway, so, so we are, and it's not getting anywhere because you, you're not trying to find a solution. You're trying to win an argument. You can win the argument, but lose the person. So, so this is what's happening. So I, I go for, a, I decide I'm going to go for a walk. And so, I'm on this walk and talking to God about how stressful my marriage is and how difficult my wife is. And I realize that I've opened prayer, Pastor Dana, by complaining. Now, I know something from the Bible that God don't take too kindly to complainers. A lot of people think God has a problem with smoking. He doesn't. People say, hey, Pastor, you know, will smoking send you to hell? No, it'll just make you smell like you came from there. But, but... (laughs) But complaining, com- God does not like complaining. Not one bit. And so I, I'm like, oh, I better just retract here. So I thought I'd better slip in. I said, God, <laughs> you know, obviously I'm having my quiet times. But Leanne, with a brand new baby, I don't know. She's probably backslidden. Yeah, thanks for that. And so God speaks to me so clearly. And he goes, Yergs, your wife is a product of your husbandry. <laughs> what? <laughs> your wife is a product of your husbandry. I'm like, what the heck are you talking about? And then he began to show me my lack of leadership, my lack of care, my lack of attention, my my expectation instead of appreciation, my taking for granted, my devaluing. And I realized God had given me this magnificent gift that I was ruining. I was so focused on her shortcomings. I was so focused on her faults that I didn't realize that I needed to take a leaf out of the prophet Michael Jackson's book and start with the man in the mirror. If you want to make the world a better place, take a look at yourself and make the Make the change. Thank you. Oh, you guys hit the note so well. Wow. I didn't re- I thought it was her, and the whole time I was the culprit. She be- she- so God said to me, she's a product of your husbandry. The word husbandry is an old English term, and it literally means the, the, the taking care of a field to make the field fruitful. Isn't it interesting that here we, we see in the, the parable that that. 
He wants the treasure, but he takes responsibility for the field. The field may have rocks. The field may have terrible soil. It may have clay soil or, you know, soil that's, that's too acidic or too alkaline. He's got to fix the soil. It may have weeds growing. It may have thorn bushes growing. It may have, you know, grass. That is, he's got to mow the grass. He's got to put a fence around it. He's got to get rid of the, the rocks. He's got to till the soil. He's got to get it fertile. In fact, you know, if it still looks the same as when he bought it, he's not really that that good a husband but if after a few years man that feel I can't honey we should have bought that field when it was on the market it was like dirt cheap look at it now it's flourishing look at the plants look at the fruit look at the vines that are growing man we should have bought that because number two familiarity fails to discern responsibility and stewardship God puts Adam and Eve in a garden called paradise. They're in a paradise, but still God says it's going to require that you tend and keep. Adam, I need you to tend and I need you to keep the garden. A few years ago, we were up in uh, Napa Valley and um, uh, beautiful family in our church, the beautiful Buries, kind of set us up with 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 some of their friends that have these these little vineyards that they're not the you know they're not the hall and um you know some of the, the big names that just these you know out of the way places in fact the first place we went there was a gate and a dirt road and I'm and I was just joking saying oh yeah you know maybe the person that set this up doesn't like us and wants us to and then we're driving up and there's you know some guy standing I'm like oh dear god and uh and they're like should we turn the van around I was like no you know if we all die well at least we'll die happy and so we drive up and thank god it was it was this awesome vineyard anyway we're doing this beautiful wine tasting they, they built this uh kind of room underneath and the cellar underneath a mountain and we're in there and we find out this guy invented the floppy disk he used to work for for Macintosh invented the floppy disk and this is just a hobby thing he only makes 3,000 barrels per year and the wine was like exquisite and there was like cheese and salamis and we're just having the best time so the sommelier then tells us he says um he says yeah yeah you know and this is the this is the Chardonnay called Barbara and my wife says, oh, why, why is the Chardonnay called Barbara? Oh, that's his wife. You know, they've been married 63 years, so he named the Chardonnay after his wife. And, oh, oh. So then we go to the next, we go to the next vineyard. We get to the next vineyard and, you know, the sommeliers take, and the wine's just as good and, the, you know, food's just as good. And then we hear, oh, they've been married 57 years and, you know, he named the Pinot after his wife and we're like okay you know it's pretty awesome and and so then we go to the next place and we find out that guy that vineyard owner had been married to his wife 53 years so it's 63 57 you know 53 and so pastor becky and i love pastor becky and i love the fact that she thinks i know things and she's like pastor jürgen pastor jürgen what do you think it is that all these vineyard owners get married once and stay married and I wanted to say to her, how the frick do I know? <laughs> but I thought I'd just... And if you leave a gap, God can speak. And so I just left a little gap. And the word of the Lord came to me. The word of the Lord came to me. True story. The, the, the sommelier had just finished telling us about it, 2000, the 2013. We, we, we tried all these wines, but we had not yet tried the 2013. He said, it's just coming out now. I'm like, well, they want to probably get onto it. It's 2019. You're, you're about six years behind. You may want to get onto it. 
And he's like, no, no, no. He says, the 2013, he said, we had the severest drought. 2013 was a year of extreme drought. Not only that, the winter was brutal. We had some of the severest frosts. We lost a third of the grapes on our vines because of how, how, how devastating the frost was. He says, so the 2013 vintage will be our greatest vintage. So I'm like, oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. So you had hardly any rain. That's right. And you had such severe frost that you lost one third of your grapes. He's like, that's right. <laughs> I'm like, so explain it again how this is going to be the greatest. You would think more irrigation, more water and, you know, perfect conditions would make the perfect wine. He says the other way around. He says the only grapes that survived the frost were the grapes who could thicken their skin. Because the skin got thicker, he says the flavor of the wine becomes greater. Not only that, he says, but when, the, when the, there's a drought, the roots have to dig down deeper to find water, which puts incredible stress on the, on the vine. He says the greatest way to magnify and multiply the, 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 the flavor of the grape is to put it under incredible stress. He says the 2013 vintage will be the greatest vintage. And then all of a sudden the word of the Lord came to me and I said, Becky, the reason that, that vineyard owners st- get married once and stay married is because they know that if they have a season in their marriage where they go through a severe frost or if they have a season that is just a horrific drought, they, they ain't thinking divorce. They're smart enough to know they're a husband, they're husbandry, taking care of the field. They know that, man, we had a severe drought, no rain, and we had terrible frost. Why would I divorce her? Because the best vintage in about five or six years' time, the best wine, That why would I divorce her and let somebody else have the great vintage, experience the best wine ever? Oh, A winemaker knows, hang in there, baby, because in about five or six years' time, the best is yet to come. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Familiarity fails, but if you you become familiar, you fail to see the stewardship. You fail to see see that thing. So God then begins to speak speak to me again. He says, Jerks, how you got Leanne is how you keep her. I'm like, what what is this supposed to mean? He's like, well, how did you get her? I said, well... With my tricks. <laughs> Mikey, I mean Melvin, I was terrible. Like I, I pretended everything interested me. I take her out for dinner. Wow. No, no, I, I, you're right. I love stilettos. Flats. Who? No, sequins. No, way better. Way better. No, I, I, I don't really like the colour. I didn't even know that mauve was a colour. You don't like... No, I, I, I hate that. What a... That colour is hopeless. They, they should ban that colour from the colouring charts. No, go ahead. No, tell me. No, I'm, I'm interested. No, that's... What? She said what to... I can't... How did that make you feel? So I'm just, I'm pulling out all the tricks. I'm pulling out all the tricks. I never turned up without a gift. I, I had deodorant in my car. I had cologne in my car. Shh, shh. 
You know, like I'm, I smelt good. There was never any noises coming from other parts of my body. No gases. I was always, you know, I'd always pull the chair, always open the door. I was like, I was a gentleman. And God says, yeah, how you got her is how you keep her. I'm like, eh, wrong. I got her now. He's like, yeah, she didn't marry you. I said, hello. Check the birth certificate. I mean, the birth certificate. Check the wedding certificate, the marriage certificate. My name is right there. She married me. He goes, no, she didn't. I said, I'll show you. Jürgen Matessi, she married, he goes, no, no, she married the ideal you presented. I'm like, what? He says, yeah, she married the ideal. I'm like, you mean I got to keep the act up? He's like, yeah. (laughs) She married the dream you presented. She married a man who was attentive, who was kind, who was thoughtful. How could I do that all my, yeah. Why did you say anything? He said, I'll just let you go. Because I'm like, well, can't I, can't I, what about what? I've got an idea. What if I use this to manipulate her? He's like, how are you going to do that? Oh, it's simple. Like, God, I love your word. Like, if I twist it, I can make it, like, work for me. Where it says, wives, submit to your husbands. Oh, Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, 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 you're getting a little bit lippy. You know, the Bible says you ought to submit to your husband. And so God, Pastor Dana, God gives me this whole lesson on submission. He goes, do you want your wife to be in submission? I'm like, oh, yes, thank you, thank you. Man, I thought thought you were being serious about all that. i got to keep up the, oh, man, yes, yes, put it, make it submissive, God. That would be awesome. Like, I come home, the house is clean, the dinner's on. And he's like, well, you know what submission means, right? I'm like, yeah, yeah, she's obeying me. He goes, no. I said, I'm pretty sure that's what I mean. He goes, no. He goes, submission, sub, under, mission. He goes, when you have a mission... For her, when you have a mission that she says, wow, that's your plan for our marriage. That's your plan for our life. That's your plan for our future. That's your plan on how you want to treat and look after me. He said, she'll have no problem submitting. He says, when men don't have a mission that benefits and blesses their wives, no wife, and I'll make sure Leanne doesn't come under that kind of mission where you don't care about her. It's all about you. And she's just chattel and she's just, I'm not going to put her in harm's way. I'm not going to put her in an abusive relationship. He says, but when you have a mission that blesses her and a mission that elevates her and a mission and a dream that she can buy into, she'll have no, do you know, it changed everything. It changed everything. I began to realize, my God, like my, my vision, my mission was so self-centered, Jenny. And then I began to realize, oh my gosh, baby, this is what I see for our future. And this is what I see with our kids. And this is what I see with our grandbabies. And this is what I see for, and she began to say, wow, I like that dream. I love that mission. Never had an issue with submission. Never had an issue with submission. When you get a mission that she can come under, you'll have never have a problem with submission. Somebody say, amen. How you got her is how you keep her. Can, can I go, can I throw myself under the bus a little more? Okay, so it gets worse. It gets worse before it got better. 
So I'm like, all right, I got to do, I got to do that whole thing. I got to do that whole thing. Well, you know, ideals are awesome, and I, I'm like an ideal guy, and I wrote it down because write the vision, make it plain that he who reads it may run with it, read it, baby, you know, and run with it. And she, and so, but the practicality, Pastor Charles, the practicality was kicking my butt. So this one day we have this massive argument, and I knew I won the argument because she started crying, and I thought, yes. And then I thought, you know, I said, babe, you know, are you, are you? She goes, I'm fine. When she says she's fine, lying. I'm like, you're not fine. I'm fine. Babe, I know you're not fine. I'm fine. Leanne, I know you're not fine because you're crying. I'm not crying. Okay, babe, you're not fine and you are crying. I'm not crying. All right, all right, all right then why is your head leaking? (laughs) So this whole thing's, and I realize I'm not winning. So I walk away. I walk away. And then the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is sent to be your helper. Come on, how many people know that? He's meant to be your helper. Meant to be your helper. Which meant to me, a helper is someone who's on my team. And I'm thinking, God, you know, you're a boy because God's a boy's name. And I'm a boy. Like, you know, like we're going to be, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking, come on, God, you're on my team. Not on Leanne. You're on my team for this one. The Holy Spirit comes. And in the Bible, Jesus says, when he comes, the help of the spirit of truth and mum will send to you, he won't speak of his own, but he'll remind you of the things that I said. So I know that his job description is to remind us of the things that Jesus said. I had no idea that he was just going to take liberties like he's God. (laughs) He didn't just remind me. He reminded me of something my father-in-law said. To me, that's cheating. (laughs) So we're having this argument. You know, Leanne's head's leaking. But she's fine, apparently. (laughs) Fine! Doesn't sound... Anyway, and so the Holy Spirit says to me, he reminds me, he reminds me I get taken back in this time vacuum where I was dating Leanne before we got married and I'm talking to Leanne's daddy. Leanne has four sisters, so she's one of five girls. And he was telling me the difference between Leanne and all the other girls. He says, oh, when Leanne was born, he says that the moment she came out, she came out smiling. He said, she was born happy. He said, she was the happiest of all of our girls. She was always full of joy and they'd go away on vacation down, down to a, a, a lake and Leanne would you know, be the entertainer and making everybody laugh. He goes, yeah, she was born smiling. And all of a sudden the Holy Ghost goes, what happened? And I'm like, um, uh, uh, I don't know, don't look at me. And he's like, true story, what have you done? And I realized I was the culprit. She was born smiling. After a few years of being married to me, the smile's gone, the joy's gone, because I was putting the weight, unnecessary burden on her, unnecessary things on her, criticizing her. No one can live in that vacuum. I had taken her for granted. I'd become so familiar. I didn't see the treasure that was in her that 
the gift from heaven that she was. And I failed to see my responsibility to be a steward and be responsible for this beautiful field. That if I will, if I will tender the field, I'll enjoy the treasure. I had neglected the field and then lost the treasure. Do you know what divorce is? Divorce is that you can no longer see the treasure because you've neglected the field. And, but you'll see treasure in another field and so you divorce that one and you go over here only to find that you're taking the same modus operandi, the neglect and the abdication of the field and then you do it again. Second term, second divorces are 68%. First divorces are 40-something percent. So anyway, so the last one, number three, because of time. Last one, number three. Familiarity fails to discern, discern strength correctly. We were fighting all the time. We were clashing all the time. And I thought it was a problem that we were fighting. I thought it was a problem that we didn't see eye to eye. Now, when you're dating, you know, it's you, 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 you're attracted to one another by the things that you like. You know, she'll tell people, oh, my gosh, and he loves Hallmark movies. I was pretending I don't like Hallmark. But, you know, oh, my God, and he loves shopping. No, no, no I like you. I like you. I like you. And, but, but, you know, and he likes the same food. I like to eat. I'll eat almost, you know, anything. But so, so when you're first dating, it's, it's all the, but let me just tell you this. When you get married, when you get married, the Holy Spirit will go to work on making you opposites. Opposites attract. But then opposites attack. The biggest key in marriage, I believe, is understanding that opposite is actually good. If you go to, to San Francisco, you'll see the, the Bay Bridge. The Bay Bridge is suspended by high tensile steel wires, steel cables, high tensile. The word tensile means tension. Tension is two forces pulling in opposite directions. The reason it can sustain high winds and storms and not fall down is because of the tension in the wires. Bridges are, are, are held up because of the tension in the rods. The word for house in Hebrew is also tent. And you secure a tent by pulling a rope taut and put it in here and then going on the other side and pulling in the opposite direction and the more taut the rope the more secure the house the more secure the tent when you get married God the Holy Spirit is goes to work because he blessed and ordained it so he's now going to go to work to strengthen it so he'll make one person a morning person and the other person is a night person he'll make one person the spontaneous come on let's just let's just not even worry about budgets and then the other person is like, hang on, we've got bills to pay and we've got to be responsible, good stewards without our, with our money. And so we argue and God's like, why are you arguing? You've become familiar. You've taken each other for granted. You don't see the gift. You don't discern the, it's a strength that they're not like you. If both of us were spontaneous, we'd have the best time, but we'd be broke. We'd be evicted. We would have lost it. Did you hear the pastor Jurgen's home got reaped? Yeah, another one. You know, they're having a good time, but they keep losing everything. Or we'd be over here and it's like, wow, they're still saving for their first home. Well, you know, we don't want to step out of it. Like you, 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 you want both. Every decision that we make, whether it's parenting our kids, whether it's financial, whether it's vacation, whether it's invest, whatever it is, we've, we've got two. I'm like, babe, let's just, let's just take off and just go. And she goes, babe, we got kids. Oh, yeah, I forgot about it. And so, and so somewhere in between here, she's like, yeah, we need a vacation, but we can do it this way and we can bring our kids. I'm like, oh, yeah. I, 
Let, let, let me finish with this. One of the biggest problems, and you're going to not believe this is true, like people say the Germans are arrogant and quite obstinate. Yeah, and always have to, I always have to be right because I'm German and superior. Ach du Liebe. And so one of the first re- things that I had to learn was that I thought that my preference and my bent and my disposition because they came from God was the right one and she was the wrong one. And then God showed me a picture of Leanne and I sitting in a little rowboat and we both had an oar, but her oar wasn't in the water. And I'm like, yeah, thank you, God. Thank you, God. See my problem. Her oar is up and my oar is in the water and I'm the only one paddling. But the problem is when you're paddling, with one oar, you don't get anywhere. You're just going around in circles. And I'm going around in circles, but I'm the one sweating. And so I'm the one that's, you know, and so I'm telling God, like I'm working my butt off here and we're not getting anywhere because she's woman. And then God said to me, yeah, because in your marriage, there's only one opinion that counts. There's only one voice that's allowed to, you have to have the final say, you always have to be right. So knock yourself out, Mr. Blister. You keep putting your oar in the water and prevent. He says, but if you would just shut up for a moment and understand that I gave her to you, the two are better than one. They have a greater reward for their labor. If you honor her opinion and if you elevate her voice to be equal with yours, and you both put in, stop, what do you do? Because now, now that her oar is in the water, your biggest goal is to synchronize. Because you can't have, he goes, synchronize. So you get a good pace. And all of a sudden, I'm like, wow, we're going somewhere. We're heading in the same direction. In fact, this feels 10 times easier and we're actually headed towards our goals. He says, when you bring her up, value her voice, listen to her, value her opinion, just because it's opposite or different to yours, familiarity will cause you to not discern strengths. It's a strength that she has the left-hand side of the oar. It's, you don't want to right-handed. You're gonna go, in, you, it changed everything. Let me finish with this. In our relationship with God, sometimes we can even take Jesus for granted. As Deshaun so beautifully said in the offering, he said, you know, I don't just see Jesus just as Savior, I also see Him as Lord. When God caused His goodness to pass by Moses, He had to place Moses on a rock hide him in the cleft of the rock and then cover him with his hand to protect him from his goodness. Can I tell you, Jesus is coming back. But the Bible says when he comes back, he comes not in goodness, he comes in judgment. He comes back to judge the earth. When he comes back in judgment, you don't want to be found not standing by him on the rock. You don't want to be in not in the cleft. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away. The Bible says our lives are hid with God in, you want to be in Christ Jesus. 
and you want to be under his covering, the covering of the blood of Jesus is judgment proof. If you've never surrendered your life to Christ, if you've never given your life to Christ, if it's awesome that you're in church and it's awesome that you read the Bible, but friend, there is no substitute. Reading the Bible and being in church are good things, but they are not guaranteed to protect you from judgment. It's only Yeshua. It's only Jesus Christ. Stand on the rock. Be in Christ and have His covering so that on that day you'll be smiling. The Bible says on that day that the people, when they see Him coming, will cry out to the rocks, will cry out to the mountains and the cliffs, saying to the rocks, please fall on us and hide us from the splendor of the one who returns. But no such relief will be afforded. I tell you, you want to be in Christ. So every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here today, understand that the reason Jesus died was so that you could be blessed in this life. But the blessing is so powerful that it is judgment-proof blessing. When you're in Christ, you're on the rock. When you're in Christ, you're in that cleft under the covering of His blood. Judgment will pass over you because judgment was already put on Christ. There's a term in, in legal called double jeopardy. Double jeopardy means that when somebody's already been found not guilty, you can't go back and retrial them. Jesus was found guilty and was crucified and God's judgment fell on Jesus in your place and in my place. The Bible says that if any man is not in Christ, the wrath of God remains upon him. But if any man is in Christ, the wrath was on Christ. If you're here today and you've never surrendered to Jesus, friend, today is your day. If you're here and you once walked with Jesus, but you slipped away, ran away, turned away, fell away, you're just away, come back. Or maybe you're here today and you're just far from God. Friend, life's too short and God's too good to live far from Him. So if you're one of those three categories of people, you've never surrendered, you once did, but you're away, or you're just far from God. While every head is bowed, every eye closed, would you just raise your hand and say, Pastor Jurgen, that's me. I want to be in Christ. Would you pray for me? Thank you, thank you. Who are those? Thank you, 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 thank you. Who was there? Thank you through there. Thank you, thank you, thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you over there. Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you, thank you up the back. Who was there? Thank you through there. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, darling. Thank you, thank you. Wow, so many hands. Thank you, so many hands. Pray this prayer with me. We're out of time, but pray this prayer. Say, Heavenly Father, I want to thank you today. You so love me, you sent Jesus to die on the cross in my place. Because of your death, I am free. I am forgiven. I am cleansed. I am born again, brand new. Heaven is my home. God is my Father. And I'm His child from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow. What an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.